and his personal experiences. And there are definitely a lot of psalms that fit that description, uh, him writing or singing about personal experiences. But there is a lot of wisdom in psalms. The book of Proverbs is not the only book of wisdom. As a matter of fact, some psalms are actually referred to as wisdom psalms. And so, this is because they make a case for the primary importance of wisdom. These wisdom psalms instruct readers on the issues of life. And so, because of this, for our very first principles of life, principles for life, I thought, you know what, let's dive into a wisdom psalm that gives issues of principles for life. Next Wednesday, I'm excited. Next Wednesday, we're launching in. It's Family Wednesday, and we're launching into a brand new series that you saw a promo video for this past Sunday. We're going to show it again this Sunday, and it's a series on the apostles. And so next, next Wednesday, we're going into that. But I prayed and thought it would be good to go through a powerful wisdom psalm to start 2019. It's the Psalm of David, the 37th Psalm. So if you want, you can even open your digital Bible, your hardback paper Bible, whatever, and there is incredible instruction and advice in this psalm, wisdom that will help to guide us this coming year and beyond. So let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you so much for every person who is here, who is uh, tuned in online, touch people who are fighting illness, Lord God, or maybe even people who are traveling, let them return home safely. Jesus, we look forward to getting everybody together once again, but in the meantime, bless them as they watch online or listen online, and every person who's here, let me, Lord Jesus, just allow you to use me tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So these wisdom psalms, they instruct readers in dealing with questions, with issues, with doubts. How many of you think it's possible that in the next 12 months of your life, 2019 is here, how many of you think it's possible that over the next 12 months, there's a good chance that you will deal with one or all of these things, questions, issues, or doubts? Anybody think in 2019, you're going to have questions, issues, or doubts? I think we could all safely say that we're probably going to have at least some of them. And so we're all in a place where we all feel pretty confident that we could use some wisdom to gear us up for the next 12 months where we will probably encounter questions, issues, or doubts. Wisdom is crucial because wisdom is the way of godliness. The very first psalm is actually one of those wisdom psalms. The psalm uh, invites all readers to delight in God and the lifestyle that comes from living a life of wisdom in His Word. Read Psalm 1 with me. It's just six verses. It's, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm just reading through this to give us a launch pad. This is very difficult for me to read this and move on because I could preach a whole sermon just on this first psalm. This is a great psalm. But it says, The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So, the first psalm is a wisdom psalm. It compares those who are wise and blessed with those who are ungodly and full of sin. 
One will stand, one will not. And this psalm, and really almost all of the wisdom psalms, they, they want the reader to have perspective on what it means to be wise and godly. And oftentimes, the psalm, psalmist will also talk about what it means to be ungodly and sinful. It's not just to bash them, but it's to give an understanding of, okay, how do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? He begins to explain these things like, hey, this is what ungodliness looks like. This is what godliness looks like. And so wisdom enlarges a person's perspective on life. A wise person desires to see things from God's point of view. We all have a point of view. Every one of us, we all have an opinion. All of your friends and family have opinions. And the church said, amen. Everyone has an opinion. So do you and I. But our goal is to see life and issues of life through the eyes of, of, of God. And so when life is transpiring, there are good things and there are challenging things. But he is God alone in the good times and the bad. We just sang about it. He's God at all times. And so this can present us with a path that is filled with a lot of ups and a lot of downs because this is life. I was just talking to someone on the phone about this. There's a constant tension in life, a tension of what's right, what's wrong, how to pray, how to approach situations, what to do when the boss says this or a family member says this or this happens. There's, there's just constant tension as we aim to be the man, the woman that God is desiring for us to be. Sometimes the situation is not always cut and dry, black and white, and so there's tension as to how should I handle this? What should I do? How should I pray even? And how we want to pray is not always just, Lord, this is what I want. Please give it to me. I mean, if you have kids, do our kids not do this? It's like, I want it now. I want it. And then the fit comes and they'll throw themselves on the ground. You have to teach them. We don't throw fits. Get off the ground now. <laughs> right? You go into the voice where you hope, you hope, you hope it scares them. People that say, I never want to scare my kids. No, you do once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. It's like the fear of the Lord. You don't, want to, you don't want to be afraid of God, but you have to have a healthy reverence for God. I want my children, hopefully, to have a healthy reverence, especially when I talk like that. <laughs> and so our goal is not just to navigate those ups and downs. Our goal is not just to make it. I don't know about you, but as I go into 2019... I pray to God that next year at this time, when we get together for our first service of the new year, and it's 2020, which is weird, huh? Think about that. 2020. Wasn't there an old TV show, 2020? Is that still around, 2020? I don't know. But 2020, I do not want to say, folks, let's just celebrate tonight. We made it. I don't want to get together in our first church of us and say, we made it, guys. We made it back for another year, another church. And we made it. I don't want to just make it. I want this year to be one where we look back and there are more bodies in the pew. There are more disciples being made, more people doing the discipling. There are, is greater worship. There may, there, there's maybe even a, a new construction on a new building. There are more small groups, more Bible studies, more baptisms, more spirit infillings. I, I, I want to look back and say, we didn't just make it. That was never our goal. We walked in the realm in which Jesus Christ called us to walk in in 2019. 
Amen. Thank you. I wanted at least four, and I got six of you. That's awesome. But I'm not looking to survive this next year. I'm looking to become what God wants me to be. And if all of us walked and said, we all have that mindset, we want to be what God wants us to be. Because at the end of the day, we're going to shine a light and invite people and disciple, and and we're going to do everything we can. But at the end of the day, you, me, we cannot change the way other people respond. We can't change the way that they do things, worship, speak, things that they do or don't do. We we, We don't have the influence to make those decisions for other people. But the one thing that I always have power over is myself. I can change. I can, I can affect. I can, I can make choices about the way I speak, the way I worship, the way I live, the way I respond. And I want to be what God, who God wants me to be in 2019. And in order to do this, I have to aim to see things from God's point of view and not my own. There are things that you and I are desiring. You ever think about this? There are things you and I are desiring, maybe even praying for right now, that would actually destroy us if God answered them the way we wanted. Ever thought about that? There are things that we actually could be interceding for, asking God for, desiring, wanting, that if he answered that prayer, it would actually destroy us. But that takes a lot of confidence in him because, see, right now, I looked at all of this stuff, and it makes perfect sense. Where are you? What are you doing? Why not? Kind of like I genuinely don't think that kids, if they eat candy for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I don't think all the kids fully understand. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Why? Why do you withhold this from me? It tastes so good. But yet you're like, no, that's not the way you want to live your life. And they're like, yes, it is. <laughs> but see, you, you know an end result, and our end result is even so limited. But imagine, imagine God. This is why he says, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the ending, I'm the first, I'm the last. He's the only one who created all things way in the beginning. And he's the only one that saw all through the middle and will be there at the end. So if he knows the beginning and the ending, like he says he knows, then really, I want to submit my will to his will. Because the things that I'm asking for, now, I think there is scripture, ask and shall be given to you, ask any, if you ask anything amiss. I mean, there's the scripture for asking. We are, we are supposed to ask. But ultimately, we're saying, but not my will, but thine be done. Because why? I don't want to ask something that makes perfect sense to me. And he's like, if I answered that, it would destroy you. Things that could destroy a marriage, a ministry, a future health, well-being. And even when what we are praying for is not destructive at first glance, we must still remember God's looking to develop us in the upcoming year. How many of you know that God wants to develop something in you in 2019? There's something God wants to develop in your life in 2019. And for us, we want that development to be like, hey, I developed a raise at at work. (laughs) 
I developed a new car. I developed, God, thank you for these developments. They're beautiful. But sometimes the development is sickness, struggle, where you get to a point where you say, God, what are you, what are you doing here? Here's my prayer, but I also don't want to miss what you're developing in me. Because that very well could be what God is like. God, God's going to develop something in us. The problem is in, in the developing phase, we sometimes miss it. I don't want to miss it. I want to be what he wants me to be. Don't you agree with that? And so in order to embrace this, we, we must be willing to aim to see things through his eyes and not our eyes. Why? That is wisdom. That's wisdom. When I can step back out of the situation and say, God, help me. Please help me. Because, because we can't, I can't I, if I could see things always through God's eyes, then I'm superhuman. So that's why none of us are like that. We have to step back and say, God, help me to see this situation through your eyes. Help me. Help me. Because wisdom includes this submission and trust to our sovereign king who maintains harmony and order in creation. Submission is placing our will beneath his will. Because, again, we said, Lord, develop these things in me. I said, I developed a raise. I developed a new car. Well, praise God. I submitted to God's will for my life. It's easy to submit to God's will for your life when it aligns with your will. But submission is not submission until there's developments that go against your will. But instead of getting angry or frustrated or bitter, I'm taking my will and I'm placing it, sometimes forcing it, under his will. And this is why when Jesus is praying, he's teaching not only his followers to pray, but even us who's reading this thousands of years later, when he says, hey, pray like this. Not my will, but thy will be done. When he's praying in the garden, let this cup pass me by. Tears as of drops of blood are coming from his forehead. What's he say? Hey, let this cup pass me by, but not. Not my will. There's a pattern there in the way that we learn to pray. And so the wise person faces life confidently because he or she knows God doesn't leave us alone. Has anyone ever felt alone? But that's where we step back and say, no, help me to not see my situation through my eyes, but to see my situation through your eyes, because I will see you are with me. And so this is why David writes often about the wicked, the sinful, the foolish, the unfaithful, because he wants us to, he wants readers to see the contrast of the way of living life. The foolish will build their house on their own foundation. Instead of finding the one true solid rock, they go to the sand, right? And so they perceive themselves as powerful, and they continually boast of their accomplishments, and they do not accept limitations. They brag, oppress, steal, and aim to deprive others of happiness, and they do not fear the Lord. And so in his wisdom psalms, David will write to readers about principles for life, which is what we call these services on Wednesdays, for those who are godly and desiring wisdom. That's why you're here on a Wednesday night, 
because you are godly people who are desiring wisdom. Is there anything else? I mean, are you all here tonight so bored that you're like, what else should we do on a Wednesday? I guess we'll go to church. Okay? I think I could, I could have any one of you stand, and you probably could come up with list, a list of 10 things that you could get done at home or at your work or in your marriage or in your relationship or in finances or things that you've got to get done in school or whatever. But you say, no, I desire wisdom. I want to be in a place where where wisdom is taught, that, that I can develop these things. And so when anytime we open the word, there's wisdom. And David does this in the 37th Psalm. In this 37th Psalm, he is, it's neat because it's actually what is called a Hebrew acrostic poem. What that is, is meaning that each stanza of the psalm begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's this acrostic poem, and each little stanza starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Very cool, which I love because when you look at that, you see in addition to the inspiration of God to write his word, there was also beautiful human talent and God-given creativity that was used in writing the beautiful book that we call the Bible. Now, I know like, we think because the Bible was inspired, we can say, well, nobody had anything to do except for just pen what God told them to pen. That's what inspiration is, and I believe that. But God used natural giftings of some of the writers to write these beautiful things that God inspires them to write. And so here, as David writes this, it's in this beautiful acrostic. And this particular 37th Psalm, this is a Psalm that God showed me several years ago when I was personally struggling uh, with some situations in my life and some people who had hurt me, and they were still aiming to hurt me. And there were issues that were going on that I, that I was begging God to change. And God did not change them the way I wanted or anticipated. You know what God did? He changed me. <laughs> like, Come on, God, I wanted you to change them. And then he changes me. Look at these words of wisdom. Psalm 37, 1. Don't worry about, we're going to read the first nine verses. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. I'm reading New Living Translation just because it's a little contemporary, a little easier to understand. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. <laughs> How's that for principles for life? We turn to Proverbs for stuff like this, but no, this is a wisdom psalm. Nine verses of incredible, incredible advice. Right off the bat, we see David offering a number of points of wisdom. And honestly, many of these things, I would say we've all struggled with something in that list in those nine verses that we just read. Just talk about a few. Number one, don't worry about people doing wrong. 
How many times does it bother us when someone's doing wrong, living wrong, but reaping blessings? Look at what I'm doing. Look at what they're doing. Yet they don't have this. They don't struggle with this. Why? How does that make us feel? He says, don't worry about people doing wrong. He goes on and says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. How many times do we read in the Bible the command, the invitation to trust in the Lord? It's not, it's not just always written in clear, hey, trust in me, trust in the Lord. You look at when he calls the disciples. He says, don't worry about the moral. Don't worry about, I, I clothe the birds. I feed the lily. Look at the lilies of the valley. You're more beautiful than they are. And, and don't take thought for the moral. It's going to take care of itself. Just seek me first. So much about the word is all about just trust me. Beginning to ending and everything in between. If he's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, we find him with this consistent message all through the Bible. Even though it changes from a tabernacle and animals to building a boat to, 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 to dying on a cross to receiving the Holy Ghost, there's always been a, just trust me. Trust my plan. Trust that I'm going to take care of you. It's always the same. But yet humanity all through the ages, we all struggle to trust him. Even the people that sit in these pews, even us, we know better. It's like our, our mind says, no, 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 God knows. I need to trust God. But sometimes our heart is deceitful and fear enters the heart and we, we say we trust him, but then we don't trust him. Yet he sees, says over and over through the whole Bible, he says, just trust me, just trust me. David's right, and he says, just trust me. Just trust him, trust him. And then he goes in, he says, delight in him, delight in the Lord. What's the difference between trust in the Lord and delight in the Lord? There's an obvious difference because he says it in different stay in different parts. He says, trust in the Lord. Next verse, delight in the Lord. <laughs> so what, what does that mean? Well, delight comes from a Hebrew word meaning soft and delicate. Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know. There's women, men. I, I can't, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for a woman. I'm pretty confident I can speak for a man. For a man. If I said to the guys right now, hey, guys, who wants to be soft and delicate here tonight? There's not a lot of hands. I hope there probably won't be any hands going up. And if there are, the other dudes are going to be like, stay away from that dude. Right? I mean, like, there's not a lot of people that are like, I want to be soft and delicate. But yet, there's things we don't want to be known for. But if we're going to be wise instead of foolish and wicked, he's calling us to be soft in his presence. This is why when he writes, even in the New Testament, Paul writes about women and he talks about women's external appearance. So when people say, God doesn't care about your outside, read the Bible. He cares about your outside. He cares about the way you dress. He cares about your external appearance. It's a reflection of what's in the inside. Read the word. But he deals with something that women often will struggle with. Can you always make a blanket statement? No. But typically, a guy is not being like, how do I look? My hair, I don't, just don't feel like going out. Guy's like, dude, give me a sweatshirt, a pair of pants, and some tennis shoes, and I will run and go wherever. It does not matter. Women don't often do that. They, they, they tend to struggle a little more with the external. Self-esteem is often built into the way that we, we, we present our bodies. Men struggle with different things. So what does Paul say is he says, I would have men everywhere lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. 
we can find just by reading that there's probably some things that men struggle with. Lifting hands, men are often not very demonstrative and expressive in their worship without wrath and doubting. What else do men often struggle with? Anger, temper, rage, and doubting. Men are, oh, I got to figure this out. Oh, I'm a problem solver. Let me figure it. Well, you don't always figure everything out with God. So as a man, at some point, you have to say, Lord, I am choosing to trust you. Meaning, for a man, you're saying, I am relinquishing control to you. And for some men, that is really difficult to relinquish that control. But David's saying here, you need to be soft in the presence of God. He's not calling for all men to be soft at all times, but he's saying in the presence of God, God has to have the final say. God is the one that we're relinquishing that control to. And so uh, if we're going to be wise instead of foolish and wicked, we, got to be, we have to be soft in his presence because obviously what there's a difference. To take delight in the Lord is really, to take delight in the Lord is really aligning our way with the Lord's way in order to enjoy him. Why? Because if I'm not delighting in him, if I'm not soft in his presence where I'm letting him be God, then there's almost going to be, as my life transpires, there's almost going to be a battle for power. There's going to be my will versus his will. I want my will to win out. My will versus his. And if I don't relinquish control to him, then all I'm going to be talking to him about is what has not been happening in my life and what, why is this not here and why does that person get blessed and why are you not answering me here? Because my will is so strong and I'm refusing to see life through his will, through his eyes. So I'm not really able to delight myself in the Lord because our wills are always actually going to, even, our, our, even in my prayer time, our wills are going to battle against each other. I don't want that. Yes, I have a will just like you do. And yes, I'm going to make requests just like you do. But I want to, to, to live in the realm where I say, God, not my will. I'm soft in your presence. I relinquish control to you. I want to delight myself in you, in our relationship, in the relationship that, that you and I have. And he says, commit everything you do to the Lord, not just our walk with God or ministry. It's not just, hey, you guys are on the praise team and I commit this to the Lord. You're ministering for God. I pray to God we're doing that. But notice he says, everything you do. Commit everything you do to the Lord. If you go to work tomorrow, the Bible talks about whatsoever you do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. So I'm not just doing it because I just want that check. But everything I do is I, I do it as unto the Lord. I'm committing everything I do to him. And he says, be still in his presence and patiently wait for him to act. Has anyone here mastered this one yet? Because otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you the mic and I'm going to go sit down for 10 minutes and let you take this portion. Because he says, be still. M many of us struggle just with that. In his presence, and patiently wait for him to act. 
We see Jesus being questioned by Mary and Martha. Why? Why did you wait so long? Our brother, your friend, Lazarus, he's dead. He would have lived if you would have just come sooner. How many of us have some situations in our life that we're like, it would have been different if you would have just answered my prayer when I asked it. Jesus shows up, and he's an, he, 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 not, there's no circumstance, there's no situation that he's ever like. Ever like. I mean, he doesn't show up I'm like, man, oh, I knew I shouldn't have. I knew I should have flew southwest instead of taking the Amtrak. Like, he, you don't see him say these things. He just walks up. He's like, yeah, okay, roll away the stone. Oh, no, he can't. He stinks. He's been in there three days. And, uh, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. Even when our situation seems dead, it's just one word from the Lord and the whole thing changes. I mean, let that sink in tonight. Just one word from Jesus. And whatever your situation is, it changes. Even when it seems like he's too late. But that's wisdom when we can say, God, I'm asking you, we've been looking for you. This doesn't look good, but go do your thing. Why? Because I know you told me you're the beginning from the ending. You said you're the first and last. You said you're the alpha and the omega. So I refuse to live in fear. This is life teaching right here. How often are we frustrated at something God has not yet done? Because we're so consumed with looking through our own eyes instead of trying to see through his. He says, stop being angry and don't lose your temper. I'm angry that I haven't mastered this one yet. Two or three, you got that joke. You see what I did there? If not, re-listen to the podcast. It'll all come around. David tells us being angry only leads to harm. I mean, have you ever just been like, man, that guy flipped out. That, that, that girl lost her temper. She was screaming. And it really worked out well for them. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, you punch a hole in the wall. The only thing that comes from that is drywall work and a loss of reputation. All that speaks is, oh, that's like the city without walls right there. Irritability and anger will quickly, will quickly erode character, destroy respect, and rob us of influence. Say that again. Irritability and anger will quickly erode character, destroy respect, and rob us of influence. Folks, we probably could just take those six pieces of advice given in the first nine verses of that psalm, and we would most likely have enough work to keep us busy for the next 12 months. But David, he points out there are differences between the wise and evil, and don't worry, I'm not going through the whole psalm, but verse 10, it says, Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, 
But the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked that the, the, his readers were obviously stressing about so bad, because he, he starts that first, that first verse of that psalm, he starts by saying, don't worry about the wicked people. So obviously, whoever he's writing to here, they're stressing about these people. And he says, these readers, he's, he says, they're, they're going to be gone at some point. I don't believe that David is trying to paint a picture of a God who does not care about people and he's just laughing at their calamity. That's not what he's trying to paint a picture of here. Instead, in the context of what he's talking about, David is pointing out that things that stress us and that keep us awake at night, God is not only aware of those things, but they don't bother him. They don't cause him stress. The things that stress us out, they do not stress out God. He just laughs at the things that worry us. Not in the context of he doesn't care about us, but it's like us. Imagine the prayer. I mean, we can hear it. We laugh. Like, imagine the prayer. God, I've got such a major issue in my life right now. You don't know what's going on. You just don't understand, God. And yes, I think God chuckles and goes, are you kidding me right now? It's just a huge issue. <laughs> what? What? David's trying to paint the picture of a God who has total and complete control. That's why verse 11, he says, the lowly will possess land and live in peace and prosperity. God is the prince of peace. His spirit and presence bring peace and prosperity. Therefore, if he really is in control, like we say and claim he's in control, we have nothing to fear. Think about it. How does that look to a lost and dying world when we claim to know the one who created all things, knows all things, and controls all things, yet we stress on a weekly basis about the things we cannot control? Because we have to leave those things in his control. What? You need to come to church with me sometime. God is in control. He, God's got your life right now. And, and then I'm just stressed. You know, my life, my paycheck, this, and I got this job, my friend, my family. And uh, well, hang on. Just last week you were telling me you know the one who is the master of the wind. You, you told me I needed God because he's the first and the last and the beginning and the ending. But so aren't you, don't you trust him with your situation? Right? That seems more like foolishness than wisdom to me. And I believe God is calling his people to trust him and to be wise this next year. And for those stressing about finances and resources, look what he goes on to say in verse 16. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. That's easy. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. Somebody needs to cling to that. You're watching online. You're here tonight. You're struggling. You keep God first. You got a promise there. Even in a famine, you're going to have more than enough. David offers wisdom, and wisdom hinders 
uh, really, really hinges around the theme of what he has been covering in this psalm. Trust God and God will take care of the godly. And notice that it says, even in, we will not be disgraced in hard times. God will never leave you, never forsake you. Verse 20, but the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. Notice the godly, look, look back, okay? God's people are generous givers, but the, he was just talking about, listen, you don't have to worry because even godly, might, it might be short. There might be some challenging times, but he says, you just remember, you'll, even in a famine, you'll have a lot. You'll have more than you need. But then he goes on, and right after talking about the struggle, he talks about giving. Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem very good to talk to someone who's struggling about giving. Does it? But see, God's principle is, it's all mine. And one of the greatest ways you can show trust in me is that the little bit that I give you, give it back to me and watch. Why? Because godly people are givers. Godly people are givers because they know their provision is from God. Not some one-time treasure that they got lucky finding. Their treasure is from God. And when we live in a godly manner, God directs our steps. A musician can come, and I want to close with something here. This is probably my favorite part. Notice this. Remember what we read in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. There's that passage about taking delight in him. Now you look later and look at verse 23. It says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. What's the rest of it? He delights in every detail of their lives. How beautiful is this? If we will take delight in the Lord, it's just a matter of time before he begins to take delight in every single one of the details of our very lives. And what is the result of, of us delighting in him and him delighting in us? Verse 24, though they stumble, because we will at times, though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. What a time to stand and find a place to pray at the altar that if we will walk after these promises, but in order to get to this point in your walk with God, it starts with the beginning of that psalm. Stop worrying about other, what other people are doing. Start pouring your, 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 your pursuing and pouring your trust 
trust into God when you know that he will take care of every detail of your life. Delight yourself in the Lord and watch as he begins to delight in every single teeny tiny detail of your life. Stuff that you don't want to tell people about because it's just so small. It's not a big deal. Nobody really cares about that. Baloney on that. The Lord looks at it and says, hey, you've delighted yourself in me. I want to delight myself in all of the details of your life. That's the God I want to walk with. As I go into 2019, I want to delight myself in the Lord. And I believe he's going to delight himself in all of the details of my life and in your life. And watch what God is going to do in this upcoming year. But we've got to trust him, commit ourselves to him. Then take some of this wisdom that David lays forth in this psalm and begin to walk in that way in this upcoming year. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, right now we delight ourselves in you, Jesus. We're soft and pliable in your presence, God. Mold us and shape us into the men and the women that you're calling us to be right now, Lord. We, our goal is not to just make it through the year. Or we're just trying to stay standing another year. No, 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 no way. God, we want to be the ministers, the disciple makers, the men, the women that you're calling, that you've designed us to be. You have a plan and a purpose in this upcoming year. Help us to walk in that plan and help us to walk in that purpose, I pray. In the name of Jesus.